Praise the Lord. I am so grateful uh, to have uh, just so many uh, good men and women of God that to co-labor with. Um, as far as pastor gigs go, um, I'm a pretty spoiled dude, and I, I, I thank God for that. Um, and have, having such a wonderful church family, I just want to commend you all. Um, you know, uh, we may not be great in, in, in size, but I tell you what, size doesn't matter with God. We're great in character. We're great in heart. We're great in our love for the Lord. And God is doing great things, not only in us, but through us. And what matters is whether we please the Lord. Amen? And, and so I want, I want to commend you. Uh, I know this is Father's Day. Uh, I want to bless you fathers and commend you for, for being the great men of God that you are. Uh, being a great dad doesn't mean a perfect person, right? And we're, we're going to get into that uh, in the message today. But just being a, a great son or daughter of the Lord is just following in the, in the steps of Jesus, who was only mindful of what he saw his father do and what he heard his father say, right? That, that was enough for him to please his father. And, and I want you to know it doesn't matter if what you do catches the eye of the world or not. It doesn't matter if what you do gets a lot of attention or gets a lot of praise. As long as what you do is in obedience to what God has told you to do, then you've got the approval of the one that matters most. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I just want to bless you. Whatever it is that you do, uh, as a mom or a dad or as an employee or as a student or, or just as a person in society, you know, let's let our identity and our affirmation come from our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. And so I just want to encourage you with that today. Um, I'm going to ask you all to turn to uh, the book of Genesis is where we'll start today. Chapter 22. And I titled today's uh, message, uh, Lessons from Father Abraham. There's just a few lessons that I feel that are very relevant, very critically important for us uh, as men of God that I wanted to challenge you and encourage you in and, and just let these come to life through this story as we read this very familiar passage in the Bible. Uh, we're going to go through the first 18 verses, but I'll start with the first three. And it reads, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Sometimes I like to place emphasis on little small phrases, little words that sometimes get glossed over, and this is uh, going to be one of those times. But it says here after these things, God tested Abraham. I want you to let that sink in. God tested Abraham. The man called a friend of God was tested by God. Not punished, tested. Why am I emphasizing that? Why does that matter? You know, I think a lot of times we don't recognize that we're being tested by God. And a lot of times 
the fact that we are being tested or that we're going through trial, we sometimes interpret that as though, what did I do wrong? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Why is God mad at me? And I want to relieve you of that notion because a lot of times it's a faulty notion. Abraham was a friend of God. There was no sin that Abraham was guilty of in this moment. This is the same Abraham when God said, I want you to leave this place you grew up in. Leave this community that you're familiar with. Leave this family that's a great source of love and support for you. And I want you to head that way. And I want you to keep going that way until you reach the location that I tell you to stop. And he got up, got his family, and left. This man walked in faith, total trust in God. And it's important that we recognize that in that faith walk, as he's trusting God, there is still times where God is going to test us. And those testings are important, critically important to our growth in him and and our growing in the knowledge of him. Our becoming more like Christ and and God being able to use us. There are times when he just wants to to, to test us. The the test is not designed to fail. He's not setting us up. A lot of times he's testing us to prove us, to reveal not only himself, but to reveal things to, to us that, that he, he wants to know whether, well, I want to I be careful how I put this because God knows everything, but I think a lot of times in the test he's revealing to us what he already sees, where we're at. And sometimes we think we're trusting God and we think that God is the first and foremost thing, but sometimes what we're really after is is what God offers us or has for us or the blessing that God can give us. So we care more about the promise than we care about the one who gave the promise. And that's not an indictment. Uh, The man with the microphone in his hand speaking to you, there's been times that God has revealed that to me about me. What are my motives? Are they pure? Are they what I think them to be? Am I seeking God's heart or his hand? But God tested Abraham. If he'll test Abraham, he'll test you. Don't sweat it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't try to avoid it. Embrace it. Because the test is designed to to lead to blessing for you. Amen? All right. So God tested Abraham. The next phrase I I, want to draw your attention to is still in verse 1. As soon as God said Abraham, it says that Abraham said, here I am. Here I am. Dale has, uh, our former pastor, Dale Barnes, uh, one of the greatest men of God I know. (laughs) Uh, There are things that he has said from long ago that have continued to ring true and ring true and ring true uh, in my spiritual walk with the Lord. And one of the things he's emphasized is being available to God. And I want to encourage you, one of the lessons that we can learn from Father Abraham this morning is to be fully available to God. Be available. The best gift you can give your your, your, your family, the best gift you can give your children is, is to model for them what a real walk with the Lord ought to look like. It's to model for them what it looks like to be available to God. When God said, Abraham, Abraham immediately says, here I am. He was available to God. Whenever God called his name, Abraham immediately responded with, here I am. Let that be your testimony. Men, I challenge you that way. 
And when he said, here I am, that means Abraham gave God his full attention. Ready to be taught whatever lesson God wanted to teach him. Or ready to obey whatever command God wanted to give him. Here I am, Lord. What is your, what is your command? Here I am, Lord. What do you want to say to me? You have my full attention. I know we're familiar with the story, but these are the things that we need to get from the story in order for the story to be relative to us today. What did Abraham have that we need to have? First, he was full. Here I am. He was fully available to God whenever God called. Let's read on. He told him, and this had to drop like a bomb on Abraham. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Why do I say it had to drop like a bomb? Uh, I, I had some late scriptures that were added to the, uh, uh, that I gave the multimedia booth. But the first one is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. God gave Abraham a promise. And I'll read it. I won't expound, but it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He was uh, promised that him and his wife, Sarai, would have a child through whom the promise would be fulfilled. He had two sons. First, he had Ishmael, then he had Isaac. Isaac was the promised child. Genesis 21, verse 12, God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, Ishmael, and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. The promise shall come through this son, Isaac. And then one chapter later, God drops this bombshell. Now I want you to take the promised son, Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to go and sacrifice him. And it says in verse 3, you know, if God told me this before I get to verse 3, and I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. God told me that, I'd have to think about it. At least a few days, a couple weeks. I'd have to wonder, am I really hearing from God? My, my commitment to, to trusting God would be severely tested because think about it here. This child, in chapter 22, Abraham is, is, is over 100 years old at this point. It was a miracle that he and Sarah, Sarah were able to have this child. This child, God has promised him through this child you are going to be the father of many nations. Through you, the entire world is going to be blessed. You had decades of, of barrenness and, 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 and doubting that you would be able to bear children, thinking that you might have to have one of the servants in your house as your heir. God finally gave you this child. And now God this promised child. Now, he doesn't even have to be the promised child. All he would have to be is my child. And that would be a very difficult 
place for me to go with God. Just the fact that there is that father-son bond. Really, God? Now, the pagan gods demand this of their people. I I thought you were different. It could be a real struggle. And, And yet, it says here, Abraham rose. You know, I probably would have slept in. Waited as long as I could. But it says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So God tested him. He immediately responded verbally and got God's command. And here's the second lesson. First lesson Be available to God. When God calls, respond. Second lesson Abraham teaches us here is immediate immediate obedience. it's, It's one thing to be available to hear what God says. It's another thing to immediately obey what you hear from God. Now, the, the, the scripture here doesn't give me any indication of the struggle that Abraham went through. Uh, so I can't read much into that. Uh, whatever his emotional struggles may have been, he resolved them and said, God said, I must obey. And he didn't delay. He didn't dawdle. He did it immediately. He woke up early in the morning. So ob- immediate obedience. He did not take a few days to think it over. He rose early the next day and began taking obedient action. He gathered two of his young men and his son Isaac. And even though he was pushing 100 years old, he saddled his donkey and cut the wood for the burnt offering. Whatever God called him to, He didn't fully understand it, but it involved his son. So it was sacred. It was precious. And if God is requiring this to me, you know how sometimes we can feel better about things by by separating ourselves or distancing ourselves. He could have easily just delegated one of his young men to saddle the donkey. You know, I'm going to have those guys do the acts of obedience for me. It won't feel like I'm... I'm preparing to take my son's life. No, he committed himself to it. He, at 100 plus, saddled the donkey. He, at 100 plus, cut the wood. This was personal. God was demanding it of him, and he was acting in personal, immediate obedience. He's taking action. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. I, I won't spend a lot of time here, but that means he's traveling and he gets to where he's going on the third day. So it'd be one thing if God told him do this by sundown and it'd be, it'd be difficult, but the thing would be over and then you can grieve afterwards. But God tells him to go somewhere that requires travel. So every foot, every yard, every mile, every day he's traveling, he's got to deal with those thoughts. Like that movie Green Mile, every day you got, your execution day is coming. When the day comes, you're walking what they call the Green Mile to, to the execution chamber. But on the third day, he sees the place that he's going to sacrifice his son. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand 
He took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father? And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Here comes the third lesson. And the third lesson is in what he said to the young men that traveled with him. We can easily grasp a hold of the faith, the faith that he showed by saying, we're going to come back to you. But he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship. So, and the third lesson before I say it is in that word worship, shaka, which means to bow down. And so he walked with God in a constant part of being bowed down before God, which speaks of submission. We need to bow down to God. Like Father Abraham did. How does one develop or walk in the faith that Abraham walked in? Well, being available to God. Practicing being obedient to God. Taking immediate obedient action when God speaks. Bowing down before God. Not my will, but yours be done. Even though I don't fully understand, I trust you enough, God, to obey what you say. It just doesn't make much sense uh, to me. Uh, uh, um, how, How can victory be won? How can there end up being a testimony out of this if I walk this out in the way that you're leading me? We can be stuck there or we can say, you know what? I don't have to understand it. He fights my battles. I don't. My job is to obey him, right? So I need to get myself to where I can hear him, make myself available to him, and just tell him constantly, here I am, Lord. I'm teachable this moment. Speak to me, Lord, what you would have me do. Command me, Lord, what you would have me to obey. I'm available to you. Obey, but he's bowed down. He's going to go to that place and bow down to God there. He and the boy Isaac. And the second half of that phrase tells me he's full of faith. This is a hard thing, but he says, we're going to go bow down to God and we're going to return. We're going to come again to you. I still don't believe that Abraham knew that God was going to stay the knife, that God was going to, you know, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to diminish his faith in trusting God in any way. This man was committed to obeying God in this. What I believe is that Abraham trusted God and God's ability so much that even though there was no precedent for it, I don't see, I I could be wrong, I don't think so. Of course, Christy, probably, but of course, you don't think so. That's what she has to deal with all the time. But I don't believe that up to this point that there was any precedent for someone being raised from the dead. Yet, Abraham knew the promise that God gave him concerning Isaac. And he knew God was a promise keeper. What God promised, he was going to fulfill. Now he could have held so tightly to Isaac for fear of uh, of the promise being lost that he could have convinced himself to disobey God. But the one who gave him the promise also gave him this command 
And, and to me, that's how he really shows us what faith looks like. Because faith is like, you know what? I believe in what you said so strongly that I'm willing to base my life on it. If you say go, I will go. If you say do, I will do. My life is built on your word. And I will be in full of faith because I trust the one who gave the word. Are you hearing that? And so uh, I want to reference Hebrews real quick to show that I do have some basis for what he believed. Hebrews 11 verses 17 to 19 say this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So he's like, you know what? I know the God I've been walking with. And if he commands me to do this and he requires me or requires this of me and I do it. My God is capable and willing to raise him from the dead because this child is the child through whom the promise is happening. So I don't have to disobey God to protect the promise. My faith isn't in the promise. My faith is in the promise giver. That's that's lesson number four, (laughs) right? That's the only way you could do something like that. His faith wasn't in Isaac and and what could be brought through Isaac. His faith was in the one who gave him the promise that through Isaac, the promise is going to come to pass. Let's not let what God promises us become an idol to us. Let's not let the pursuit of that thing be so great and so strong and so intense to us that that we might be tempted to dishonor or disobey our Heavenly Father, the, the, the one who gave us the promise in order to protect the promise. It's not ours. It's not our job to protect the promise. It's our job to trust God with it. Amen? And so as much as he loved the promise, because he said your only son. Now, he didn't, he isn't the only son that Abraham had, and some people might look at that as a contradiction, but he was the only son of promise, the only son of that it pertains to the covenant of God. So don't trust the promises of God. Trust the promise giver, the one who gave you the promise. And that is where I am and where where Christy and I are learning to walk as our girls have entered adulthood. And uh, our oldest daughter is, is already out living on her own and is well on her way to achieving her goal and objective of living and working in Japan here in a couple years, I began to struggle with the thought of her being halfway around the world. You know, uh, Christy and I's 
you know, the first of our four daughters. And it's not that I didn't trust God, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I began to realize the limits of my trust in God. I'll say it that way. Because I began to feel the strain of and the worry of my daughter ultimately living in another, some foreign country halfway around the world and what if she needs daddy? I'm used to being 10 minutes away. It's a struggle for me to have her in Bartlesville. Two hours away. Right? Because we're a very close family. That, 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 that we, 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 we attend everything. We, <laughs> we, we, we support each other in everything. We fight. Well, they fight. They fight. But we, we're very close. And I'm, I, I didn't realize how used to, how comfortable I got being able to be Captain Save the Day for them whenever they needed me. Put on the cape, daddy's here. Let's change the tire. Put on the do whatever. Disappointing Greg, daddy's here. When they shed tears, not just daddy, mom and daddy, but I'm just, this is Father's Day. I get a day. And I didn't realize, you know, that it kind of crept in there that I began to have this, uh, I don't know, I began to have this, uh, uh, I felt that I was doing the protecting. And, and at some point, I kind of I began to wear that. And when Bethany moved out, and, and I know what her plan is, I began to feel like I was losing control, that I was losing the ability to be on the vanguard for her. And God had to deal with me and say, look, he's like, uh, uh, do, do you think you've been doing this? You know, do you think that you've been the one protecting her? Do you, you've been trusting her with me her whole life. Now, it may have to look different now, but you're still going to have to continue to trust her to me. He said, you didn't, you're not losing control. You're losing the illusion of control. And I, and I, and I had to say, yes, Lord, because I knew he hit right on the center of it. Right? At some point, I felt like I was controlling things, and I, and I, and I really wasn't. I really wasn't trusting God the way I needed to trust him. I, I had a false sense of security. And, but I've been awakened in the knowledge of that through my oldest daughter transitioning into adulthood and moving out. I still have three more daughters. One semi moved out. She's staying with grandma. And the other two are still with us. You know, but that's where we're at. And we're learning to trust God in a way that Abraham walked with God from the beginning. The very place where, uh, that's why I'm sensitive to that place where Abraham is walking, where this is your precious child. And I'm going to require of you to take that child's life. Not only is your precious child, he's the one, he's the promised child. And I began to think about all the things I didn't do right, things I could have done better, counseling that I might cause them. You know, there may be counseling sessions that they have to go through because of the shortcomings of their dad. And God had to give me a piece about that as well. You know, that's why when I speak to you and say that you don't have to be a perfect dad in order to be a great dad. There's only one person that was perfect that walked the face of this earth, and he's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So dads, be encouraged. Don't pressure yourself to be perfect. Your kids don't expect you to be. 
Don't expect that of yourself. Don't waste your mental energies on, on stuff like that. Instead, let's, let's devote our mental energies on the lessons that we can learn from Abraham. Things that are going to, if your kids are seeing it modeled out in front of them by you, is going to be a much greater blessing to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids after them. I'm going to show you what it likes to what it's like to have a relationship with God. I'm going to show you what it's like to be available to God. I'm going to show you what it's like to be full of faith in God. I'm going to show you what it's like to to trust in the promise giver over the promise. I'm going to be full of faith before God for you. I'm going to be full of hope. And I'm going to show you what it's like to have God be number one. I love you, spouse. I love you, children. But I love God greater than you. And and that's no slight to you. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do that and I'm going to challenge you to be the same way. Love me, but love God more than me. Love your spouse, love your children with all that is within you, but love God over them. They may have been an answer to prayer. They may even be key to the promise that God has given you. But the promise giver is far greater than the promise. So, uh, let me find my place here. I want to point something out as we continue on for about another 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so. I gave myself a time, so we'll see. Uh, We we often, it's unmistakable, we often uh, highlight Abraham for good reason in the story. But on Father's Day, it's not just about the fathers, it's about the ones who love the fathers as well. And I want to spend a little bit of time on Isaac here. It says, uh, I'll just say in verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He just put it on him so his son is carrying the wood. There are so many parallels here between what what happens between Abraham and Isaac and, and what happened in the Gospels with Jesus and God the Father. Abraham, this whole... It's very meticulous. If you really read it carefully, you'll see this is a foreshadow of what God would do in giving his own son for our sins. He took the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and, 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 and just like Jesus carried the cross that he would die on, Isaac is carrying the wood that he'd be sacrificed on. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, 
my father, here I am, my son. Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And he said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Again, I want to point out, now, Isaac is not a little boy at this time. He's a young man. And if he was just not willing to let himself be subject to what eventually became obvious his dad was planning to do, he could have easily resisted and prevented it, which lets me know there's no sign here that, that Isaac resisted being sacrificed by his dad. He allowed himself to be bound because, remember, his dad's over 100 years old. There's not a thing that his dad could make him do physically. Scholars calculate that he may have been in his early 30s. He's a man. So I want to point out the fact that he is himself, just like Abraham is surrendered to God, that he has yielded himself. That, oh, if this is, if my father says God said this, then I'm bowing to God too. And scripture says, you know, in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, you know, uh, uh, it, it ends by saying, fathers do not provoke your kids to wrath, but it starts with kids, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you. You may have long life, be blessed. It's the first command with the promise. I want to commend Isaac because he did that. He honored his father in this, but he also, by extension, honored the father, God. He wasn't just thrown in there and forced to be willing to give his life. He willingly laid down, let his dad bind him, and put him on that altar. Uh, and so, foreshadowing that the Messiah who would be the ultimate fulfillment of that promise, would also, before his father, lay down his life, willingly give himself to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. There, there is so much that can be brought out uh, in this story. But I want to honor you as father, but for those of you who you may or may not be a father, but every male in this place is a son. And there is a lesson to be learned through Isaac. God gave you the parents that he gave you. They may not be perfect, but if you have parents that love the Lord, they're endeavoring to walk humbly with God and obey God and, and honor him in all that they do. You may not like what you hear from them, but you need to consider it as from the Lord. That's another lesson that we can learn from this is from Isaac himself. I'm sure he didn't want to die. He was even confused at one point. I, we got everything here, but we don't have the lamb. Where, where, where is that? Hey, God's going to provide himself a lamb, son. And again, that does not mean that Abraham ever knew that this was a test. It does not mean that Abraham knew that God was going to stay his hand and prevent him from sacrificing his son and provide a lamb. I believe this is one of those double entendre things. This, he's speaking not only for this present situation, but he's speaking prophetically. 
that which would be fulfilled by the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. So I know you're, you may be young and you may be full of passion and full of dreams and, and things and you might feel your parents are a hindrance to you fulfilling God's plan for your life. I want you to know your parents will never be a hindrance for you fulfilling God's call in your life. They're going to be a help. And it's, despite how passionate you might feel it, it doesn't mean that it's right now that it's to be fulfilled. You got to trust God working in your parents in order for that to come to pass the way God wants it to come to pass. He gave you parents not as a hindrance, but to lead you, to train you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to prepare you to be able to handle the future that God has for you, the blessing that God has for you. We don't want to get into the promised land and not be able to handle it because we have no self-control or we don't know how to walk with God. So learn to, learn to restrain yourself and humble yourself under your parents so that you'll be disciplined in that when you're out from under their roof and you as an adult will restrain yourself and discipline yourself before God. That's not something we should be waiting to try to do when we're on our own. We should be learning those things, those, those disciplines, while we're under our parents' roof. And then we continue in those things as we go off on our own as adults. I just have a couple of uh, verses I want to finish uh, with you here. Uh, I've already alluded to this, but I want to give you the verse. Matthew 10, verses 37 to 39, uh, speaks to God being the priority love in our lives. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It is not a lack of love for your loved ones for you to prioritize your love for God over them. He didn't say he'll reject you, but it's so important. He says, if you don't do this, you're not worthy of me. This is not the kind of, this is not the true devotion to him. And when we hear that, if that, if we're guilty of that, then let us fall under conviction to the point that we repent of that. And, and, and by God's grace, let us reorder our lives to put him in the priority position where he belongs. But it also says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me, is not worthy of me. Like Isaac willingly allowed himself to be bound and laid on the wood, on the altar to be sacrificed, like Jesus took up his cross willingly, he says, no one takes my life, I lay it down. He's saying, follow that example. These trials, these struggles, these tribulations of life, your hardships that you will, that you will endure, Hey, you wear that and you trust God in it. That God, I want, I want what's in me to die so that Christ might live in and through me. I want to decrease so that Christ can increase in me. Right? And that's the, that, that's the attitude of taking up your cross and following him. Follow his example. Walk the way he walked before God and man. John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the savior we represent. 
It's, it's, it's easy to condemn. It's harder to be a fisher of men, but that's what God has called us. It's harder to make disciples. But that's what we've been called to. There's coming a time when it'll be too late for all who refuse to bow the knee to Christ. When he comes again, it will be his judge, not savior. But until that time, it's incumbent upon us to tell everybody that we know, to tell everybody we come in contact with, to tell everybody we know and don't know. I don't know who's watching this. But they need to know that Jesus loves them. They need to know that Jesus died for them. They need to know that there is salvation in no other but Jesus Christ. They need to know that hell is a real place. Eternity is real. Heaven is a real place. And, and, and you're going to hell apart from Christ. That's not intolerant. That's, that's our faith. That's biblical truth. And we can say that, hopefully and prayerfully we say that from a heart of love. I love you so much, I can't not tell you. But I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you that there's a God in heaven who sent his only begotten son because he loves you. And he wants your name written in the Lamb's book of life because he wants to spend eternity with you. And there's a real devil out there that wants you to spend eternity with him in the lake of fire. He wants you to join in his rebellion and suffer eternal condemnation with him and what they do with that is up to them but woe is us if we don't prioritize giving the world the message God gave us to give the world Luke 22 verses 41 and 42 say and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying father if you are willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. Um, that, I put that in there kind of as a parallel uh, I believe Isaac had that same heart when he just yielded to his dad, binding him and putting him on the altar. Jesus prayed to God if there's any other way. I know you're capable of doing it, but if you don't not my will be done, but yours be done. That's, uh, that's being bowed down before the Father. Constantly in our prayers to God, even as we're communicating to him in faith what we're asking him for. Let there be an attitude that says it and let this come from your mouth. Lord, This is what I'm asking for. But if this isn't your will, if it's your will to do something different here, I bend my will to your will. We should always be willing to do that. It's not that I doubt that you hear me and that you answer my prayer. It's just that I acknowledge that I see through a glass darkly. I don't know the end from the beginning. I don't know fully what your plan is. And if my prayer is in accordance with that, praise God, I believe that you hear me and I want you to answer it. But if what I want here is running, is going to run contrary to how you want to work and what you ultimately want to do here, then Lord, I'd rather not get what I want for you, for your plan to take place than to get what I want and your plan not take place. Not my will, but yours be done. And I will finish with one last encouragement from God's word to you. First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Abraham humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, God exalted him. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, humbled himself 
before the mighty hand of God the Father and at the proper time God exalted him. You and I like Abraham and like Jesus must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Trusting that at the proper time he may exalt us. And in that time where we don't know which way it's going to break, am I going to win here or am I going to take an L here? Am I going to get the favor of man here or or, or not? Am I going to get the answer to my prayer or not? In that moment of anxiety, that moment of stress, that moment of doubt, We don't have to be in denial about it, accept it, call it what it is. But it says, cast it on him. God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to have to go through the fire in some kind of way. And I'm a little anxious about that. But but I'm going to give that to you. I, I, I don't think the person on the other side of this issue cares about me, but I know you care about it. I know there's a peace that the world can give, but it ain't the kind of peace I need. You said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And Lord, I want your peace, the peace that only you can give. And I know you care for me, so I'm going to cast this anxiety on you because I'm committed to obey you. My will is bent to your will. I'm bowed down before you. I said I was fully available when you called me to begin with. And now that it's hard, I'm reiterating that I'm still available to you. That hasn't changed because the wind is swirling around me. That hasn't changed because things have gotten troublesome. I recommit. I'm going to ask you to stand. bow your heads with me as I go before the Lord in prayer. And Father God, I just I thank you so much for the lessons that we've learned that we can learn from, from Father Abraham and how he walked with you. Father, I just pray that as Abraham was, that we make ourselves available to you like he did. That we humble ourselves before you like he did. That we immediately obey as he did. That we trust the promise giver more so than the promise itself. I thank you, Father God, that you have given us these lessons to give us a picture of what a godly father is according to Scripture, what what a godly father looks like according to your word. And Lord, I pray against the temptation of the devil that would, that would cause us to hear these lessons and condemn ourselves for not measuring up in all these ways. Lord, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father God, there are many who are hearing this probably for the first time. And, and the issue isn't in how they failed to measure up up to this point. The issue is now having heard Will you take the word that you've heard and become a doer of it? And I believe to a man, to a person here, I believe the answer to that question is yes. 
And Father, I thank you for those hearts that are themselves good soil that this truth is being planted in. And I thank you for the fruit that it shall bear in their lives. Uh, Father, I ask your your blessing on our fellowship as we continue uh, after the service, Lord, to uh, really show some love to the dads with the root beer floats and everything, Lord. We just ask your blessing on our fellowship and may all be done to your glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I would ask all of you